Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. All right. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you all. I'm excited to introduce this year uh, to you for the whole year. If you didn't know already, it was kind of alluded to uh, last week and a little bit this morning, but... All year long, we're going to take uh, 12 months to go through this phrase, grace and truth. Now, that might sound like a long time to go through two words, but I assure you there's so much packed into these two words and into the, the one person who embodies them each, which is Jesus, that, uh, that we'll have plenty to cover. In fact, I'm just going to dive right in because uh, there's I want, I want to get to a couple things this morning. So... Every few years, uh, one research firm or another comes out with a, kind of a typology or a, 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 a description of the American people. Maybe it's uh, you know diff- separating people into different groups or different categories based off of their beliefs or based off of their behaviors or whatever. So I found one recently that I found fascinating uh, by this research kind of firm called More in Common. Uh, they, they published a breakdown of the American political spectrum uh, in a study that they've titled The Hidden Tribes of America. Sounds pretty, pretty like, oh, what's that? Sounds kind of fun. So the Hidden Tribes of America, in this study, uh, what they did was they surveyed, you know, eight, 10,000 people across the country from different geographical reasons, regions, different uh, political kind of spectrums. And, uh, and what they found is that is that though it feels like this, though it feels like there's this knockout, drag-out fight, 50-50 people are, like it's just, you got to pick your side because you don't know who's winning, but you know that they're each hitting each other and it probably hurts. Looks like we got um, Alaska getting hit in the face and Nevada's getting punched in the gut. Which side are you on? It's 50-50 and you got to choose. There's this war and reach digging in our heels. That's what it feels like in the way that it's presented, in the way that, that we kind of get caught up in the news cycle. What this research found is that though it feels like this, it's actually, for the majority of people, more like this. It's more like, what, what is going on? They call, uh, so they, they, they split the, the country into seven distinct uh, kind of, groups or tribes, and there's that word tribe thrown around all over the place. What they mean is just different markers that, that would align you in one of these seven categories. Uh, so here are the seven. I can't even read them from back there. So you can look it up. It's called hiddentribes.us. There's a ton of stuff. It's, it's super long and fascinating and complicated, and if you're interested in kind of cultural exegesis, like like kind of understanding what's going on in this cultural moment that we live in. I would, I would actually encourage you to, to check this out and just kind of look into to what their research is finding. But what I'll explain here is just that there's about a 70 or 80% chunk in the middle that they've called the exhausted majority. They're exhausted, they're a bit disillusioned, and they're open to, to actual conversation. And this is encouraging. And it's encouraging for the church 
Because oftentimes the church is put into one of these categories. But Jesus, I feel like with this idea of grace and truth, and it's the whole reason I'm bringing this up, is because I feel like there's this moment for the church right now, not just in America, but, but for, for us to recognize that Jesus, who's full of grace and truth, has a word to be spoken to this exhausted majority. He has a message to communicate that's full of grace and truth, something that's hard to find no matter which way you look. Jesus, uh, I feel like, is, is compelling. And I, I really do get this sense that this spectrum, this setup, is ripe for a move of God. Like it's just, it's just ready for an inbreaking of the Spirit of God to reveal his heart and his love and his grace and his truth that shatters all these paradigms and ideologies that we try to feel like we have to align ourselves with. And so it's time for the church to rise up above the fray and see what God is doing. Um, and so that's why I bring this up. I'm excited. And, 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 it's, and so this year, I, I just feel like we're on to something when we say grace and truth. There's something about the way that Jesus embodied these ideas that make them not just ideas, but, a, but an actual concrete reality that, that we'll get to unpack throughout this year and become the body that's connected to the head that actually lives in grace and truth uh, together and in our world. So here's where John introduces, John the gospel writer is the one where this phrase comes from. He introduces this phrase, grace and truth. He says it twice in his opening kind of prologue to his gospel. Uh, So he reads, or he says it like this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, Say grace and truth. All right, good job. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth. Say grace and truth. Okay, good job. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. There's, there's a lot packed into this paragraph, but I'll just point out a few things. Uh, John was convinced, and he wants the church to be convinced, that Jesus uniquely captured grace and truth, and he manifested it in his life in a, in a way that was not previously present, and yet these were, these were former realities that, that was, have always been in the heart of God, that Jesus has now made, he's expressed, he's realized them, he's made them manifest, he's brought them into observable, relatable form in his life and in his ministry. So John, a Jewish man writing to a largely Jewish audience, right, Jesus was a, was a Jewish Messiah, He's writing to the first century uh, church, and he's describing Jesus as full of grace and truth. I think something we miss is that he's almost deliberately referring back to Moses on Mount Sinai, where Moses asks God, show me your glory. Like we sang it this morning, this is a common refrain for the people of God. A hunger and a desire to see more of the Lord, to have more of God. John says, we saw his glory. We saw it. 
in, in, in the person of Jesus, full of grace and truth, right? Moses prays, show me your glory. God says, okay, I'll show you my glory, but I can't let you see my face because no one can see me and live, so I'll let you just see my backside. And as God passes by Moses in Exodus 34, this is on the top of Mount Sinai, after he had already broken the tablets because the people were worshiping an idol, and he goes back up and talks with God and says, what's with this people? And God says, I know. And he says, and then they have this interaction where he says, show me your glory. The next chapter, God passes by Moses. This is what he says to him. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. This is God's self-revelation of himself to Moses on the top of a mountain surrounded by a glory cloud. And Moses had, had been so struck by it, and it says a, a, a verse later that he, all he could do, he made haste to bow low and worship. That was his response. So this is what God says about himself. John then, right, is saying, yeah, so that God that we all know as Jewish people, who, who's revealed himself as full of, of grace and abounding in love and slow to anger, and he's, he is truth, that's, that's Jesus. He's, he's full of grace and truth. There's no distinction here. They're one. So John's making a claim to Jesus' divinity and his sovereignty as he describes him with these, with these words. Exodus goes on. So this, this is all a description of kind of a, a gracious attitude towards, towards sin and disobedience. It goes on, and it says, that's where the top part was shrunk. It says, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. He's a just God. Visiting, this is still part of his one revelation to Moses. Visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Right, Moses made haste, right, as I said, to bow low toward the earth and worship. There was no kind of, but is that really, like, no, the only response Moses could do in this moment where God, this is who I am, he just, he worships. Because that's the only appropriate response when God reveals who he is. And so John is referring to this passage as he is um, as he's saying that Jesus is full of grace and truth. Jump down to verse 16. Of his fullness we've all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus. And so one thing I want to point out is it says grace upon grace. If you were here last week, Dan Slade talked about what, what, maybe what, what that's getting at. Grace upon grace already given. And then he mentions the law. The point is, the law was God's grace. The law was an expression of God's kindness to his people to say, this is what it looks like to be in relationship with me. Here are the instructions. Here's how it works. Here's what the covenant we're making is. Here's the law. That's an act of grace. And then Jesus comes and he brings grace and truth, which is grace upon grace already given. And so there's, there's a lot going on here in the Gospel of John. Uh, at the end, Jesus is before Pilate. He says, I am the truth. Pilate says something that, that we hear a lot these days. 2,000 years ago, Pilate, the, the, the Roman kind of governor over the region, 
at the time. Pilate says, what is, what is truth? What is truth? Jesus, you say you're the, what do you, what do you? And then, he say, and then he leaves. That's the last thing he says, he walks out. If, if we're to be the people of God, and Jesus, this is who Jesus is, the way, the, where, where I want to turn this and why I'm excited about this topic this year is because it requires something of us as a church to be conformed to who Jesus is, to, be, to reprioritize and kind of just sit at the feet of Jesus. This is a beautiful expression of, of kind of what was in my head this morning because there's just people up in the front sitting at the feet of Jesus just saying, God, I, I, just, I just surrender. I'm just going to give it all to you. Because in order to learn what grace and truth is, and, 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 and we have to sit at the feet of Jesus and just see it lived and, and, have, and, and actually experience it ourselves. And so where we want to go is just uh, to ask, what does it look like for us to cultivate a spirit of grace and truth in response to Jesus? And so this is a, a brilliant uh, Venn diagram for those of you who uh, know that term. No, so this is, I mean, this is really often the, the, the dynamic that we want. You have, whether you're Christian or not, you have kind of grace-based people who, who are all about forgiveness and love but don't really want to tell things straight because that's, that's assuming or that's, that's kind of, it's just, it's just not nice. And then you have truth-based people, truth-based Christians who are all about Bible study, all about, you know, knowing the right doctrines, but really are lacking in grace. And where we, what we find in Jesus is there's, not, you don't have, there's no option. Like, to, to know Jesus and to be found in him is to be full of grace and truth. And I'm using these terms as if we know what they mean. We'll, we're going to take a whole year unpacking them, right? And there's a lot here. But this next, this next uh, matrix is where we'll land. What this is describing is just different ways that we tend to live or different cultures that we tend to cultivate in our own lives, in our families, in our relationships. And we just split it up into four, right? There's kind of grace and truth and and in the bottom left, you have apathy, which is really like no grace, no truth. I don't care. Like, I just don't care. I've given up. I'm, I, I just, it's, it's the relativist who says there is no truth, yet who holds themselves, who, who, who just like is very self-deprecating and self-critical. Because there's no, they're, they're holding themselves to a standard that they don't believe in, and they just beat themselves up about it. <clears throat> I think a large part of the exhausted majority would find themselves in this place of apathy. Just, just hearing this, this kind of grenades thrown over their heads and just saying, I don't even, I don't even care. Like the whole middle of that chart was the politically disengaged. Like I'm just, I'm just pulling away from the whole conversation, which is like saying, get me out of here which is the largest percentage of any. And, uh, and it's no grace, no truth. There's more to be said on that, but I'm going to keep moving. Okay, hangout, hangout culture, we call it, or we'll, we'll call it. A hangout culture is to say, you know, all grace, 
little to no truth. What this means is that we're all about getting along just so long as nobody feels uncomfortable. Because that would involve like a real conversation. So I don't really want to hear what you really think or what you really have going on or how you're really feeling because that would involve truth entering into the picture. And so I'm going to act like grace is my priority, but it's really an illusion because without truth, grace doesn't have anywhere to meet because they, they, meet, they meet in Jesus. So, and so there's really no ability to tell the truth and no desire to listen to the truth. And so there's this, there's this human desire for proximity and for intimacy, but you, you're, you're cutting it off when you don't, you can't know somebody if you don't know the, the truth about, like, about them. And they can't know you if they don't actually, so I think that's brilliant how, how this, this life group model is, or this community group, sorry, I gotta find my right language, <clears throat> is designed to actually know each other because it's in the truth where Jesus meets us. Grace doesn't compromise, isn't compromised for the sake of truth. It actually is in the truth that grace meets us. So, so hang out, culture, we can call it. Uh, I, think, I think we've kind of covered that. Just a f- few more things here. We'll go through these, the rest, these two. So there's, then there's call out, right? So if you think about it, call out is high truth, low grace, or all truth, no grace, however extreme you want to get with it. But, but this is the high value on truth-telling, on, on a moral standard, on, um, on kind of complying with the precepts, with the way things ought to be. This is, like, this is the epitome of religion. Like this is the religious spirit, is to, is to call out sin, but to have no grace for mistakes. Like this is, this is what Jesus just railed against the Pharisees for is this call out culture. I'm better than you, and I can show. I don't know how to. Sh- I can't show you grace because grace is dangerous for the for the call out mindset. Because how is somebody going to know that they're wrong if I show them grace? Because it's it's the, it's me knowing that it's them knowing that they're wrong that's going to make them change. But Jesus says, no, it's in the truth where I'm going to meet you with my grace and say, I love you. I forgive you. And so, rather than creating what the call-out culture would want, which is righteousness and conformity, it actually just kind of maybe creates this facade of conformity, but really it's just all fear and performance. Right, it's all just like I don't, I can't make a mistake. I can't be weak. I can't be vulnerable because if I am, then I'm going to be picked apart. And and so I need to perform. I need to put on a face. That's not Jesus. Okay, so more to be said, but we'll keep moving. Call out. Call in. Call in. Culture was where we'll land. So this is this is really the posture, life, message of Jesus. There is truth, and it is Jesus. The call means that, it's, that there's, there's a word spoken into, into a situation, into a thought pattern, into a life pattern. The truth is spoken. And as the truth is spoken, the, the desire is to bring people in. It's not to reject them. 
for kind of wherever, whatever they're up to, but it's to bring people, it's a desire to, to grow in relationship with one another. And so the point of the calling is to bring people into a relationship with grace. <clears throat> and this requires us to sit at the feet of Jesus, whether, whether literally or just in your seat, but just in your heart, just kind of say, whatever I've, whatever ways of relating to each other and other people that I've grown into, I want to reorient my life around the way of Jesus. First, on the first end, to just to be a recipient of his grace by acknowledging the truth of, of the matter, the fact of the matter, right? The reality is, for, for all of us, whether we recognize it or not, is that we are broken. The reality is that we're broken. There's all sorts of ways to try to fix that, 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 that you're going to be told. Oftentimes it involves your own effort. But the truth is that we're all broken. It's in acknowledging that, that the grace of God steps in to say, but I can make you whole. We're all, we're all dead, like in, in, our, in our own brokenness. It's, it's the grace of God, and in acknowledging the truth, it's the grace of God that steps in and says, I can bring you back to life. I can make you alive again. You cannot have one without the other. And there's this, it's, 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 I'm still trying to unpack it, but it's this beautiful paradox of grace and truth that Jesus presents for us and invites us to step into. And this is the step I want us to take together this year as a church is to begin more than ever before to recognize what does it look like to grow deep with each other, to, to really be honest and to really extend grace, and to really receive grace, and to really tell truth, and to really be able to receive truth, even when we don't want to hear it. Because it's, it's, it's in that place where Jesus is most glorified, and it's really, folks, it's in that place when the church can step into being connected to the head, which is grace and truth. It's in that environment that when the Spirit of God breaks in, in a way that's beyond anything that we can come up with or fabricate, that's, that's the environment we want people to, to step into for, for their own formation and for their own discipleship and for their own growth. And guys, what this is going to require is just to say, Jesus, teach me. Well, Jesus, teach me what it looks like. I'm willing to just sit at your feet. Because we can think we know this stuff. But really, the, the first place isn't to say, oh, this person really needs to do this. It's, it's right here. It's in our own lives. It's in our own hearts. It's in our own relationships with our, our friends and our spouses and our kids that we need to learn what it looks like to live in grace and truth. <clears throat>